Hi, we've got three of your favorite Curiosity Daily stories from the past year to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, we'll test how well you can tell real laughter from fake laughter. You'll learn how scientists used a video game to teach children empathy. And we'll answer a listener question about what causes eye, hand, and foot dominance. Let's dominate some curiosity. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) Let's satisfy some curiosity. Can you tell real laughter from fake laughter? Well, a new study says you can, but we're going to see how good you are at it. That includes you, Cody. Oh, boy. First, here's some background. Greg Bryant is a communications professor nicknamed the laughter guy since he's done so much research on the topic. He gathered 884 people from 21 different countries, including six continents, to see if they could tell the difference between real laughter and fake laughter. Nearly two-thirds of participants were able to guess right, even if they were from different cultures or spoke different languages. Along with his other research, Bryant says that this supports the idea that laughter is something intrinsic to humans, not just something with cultural roots. Humans are social creatures, right? Well, in another similar study, Bryant found that listeners from different cultures could tell when laughs were shared between strangers and when they were shared between friends. So a laugh is worth a thousand words. Anyway, let's see how well you do. Here's some real laughter and here's some fake laughter. Cody, are you ready? I am. So here's number one. <laughs> Can I hear it again? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to say that was a fake laugh. You are right. Yes. Number two. Okay. <laughs> fake or real? That was definitely a real laugh. That was a real laugh. Aha, yes. Number three. <laughs> Wait, Can play again? that again? Yeah, that's a weird one. What was that? <laughs> You know, it's not the most generic laugh, but I'm going to say it's a real laugh. It is a real laugh. Ooh, all right. Yeah. Ah, Pressure's on. I got to go four for four now. (laughs) All right. (laughs) You want to hear it again? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to say that was fake. That was fake. Aha. Four for four. All right. Nice. Very cool. You can test your friends at home by sharing our full write-up on Curiosity.com and on the Curiosity app for Android and iOS, where we've got a video with all of these laughter samples. Yeah, challenge them. See what happens. A team of researchers used video games to teach children empathy. This is not a drill. You love this, Cody, don't you? You you know, I was so excited about this. (laughs) I saw the headline. I'm like, this is going in the podcast. (laughs) I'm a gamer in case anyone out there... I think they figured that out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We've got a smart audience. <laughs> That's true. Well, for this study, researchers from University of Wisconsin-Madison randomly assigned 150 middle schoolers to two groups. They assigned one video game to each group and had them play the assigned game for two weeks. One game was an experimental empathy training game called Crystals of Kador. In this game, a space-exploring robot crashes on an unfamiliar planet, and you can only repair your spaceship by building emotional rapport with the local alien inhabitants. The player does this by identifying the type and intensity of emotion the alien's faces are displaying, whether it's anger, fear, happiness, surprise, disgust, or sadness. The hope was that as they played, the kids would learn how to better understand the emotions of their fellow humans. The researchers measured how well the kids in this group could identify the characters' emotions in Crystals of Kador, while the second group played the 2011 action role-playing game Bastion, which is not designed to measure emotion. Both before and after the study period, the researchers scanned the children's brains in an fMRI machine to help them measure brain connectivity, especially in areas associated with empathy and emotion regulation. During each brain scan, the researchers also had participants complete tests that measured how accurately they could empathize with other people. 
And the results showed that the kids who had played Crystals of Kador showed greater connectivity in brain networks related to empathy and perspective taking than those who had played Bastion. Some Crystals of Kador players also showed more connectivity in emotion regulation and improved more on their empathy test after playing the video game. Kids who didn't show an increase in brain connectivity didn't improve their scores on the empathy test, though, so while video games could help some kids build empathy skills, it's not a cure-all for everyone. I also want to note, I have played Bastion, and it's a phenomenal game, and there's a moral decision you have to make at the very end of the game, so... Maybe that uh, threw a wrench in their results. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's an incredible game. It won, like, every award in 2011, so I highly recommend that. Hmm. I'm not getting paid to say that. This is a great game. I was reading this study. I'm like, Bastion, I love that game. (laughs) Today's episode is sponsored by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash and people could get hurt or killed. But let's take a moment to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Many people are unaware that driving while high can be just as dangerous. In 2015, 42% of drivers killed in crashes tested positive for drugs. Not so harmless after all, is it? And get this, from 2007 to 2015, marijuana use among drivers killed in crashes doubled. The truth is driving while high is deadly. So stop kidding yourself. If you're impaired from alcohol or drugs, don't get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, you'll get a DUI. Drive sober or get pulled over. We've gotten a couple questions about hand and eye dominance. Our Patreon supporter, Michael, thanks Michael, writes, quote, What causes us to have a dominant eye? Is there any connection between handedness and ocular dominance or are they completely separate? Is there anything that influences ocular dominance, or is it purely rooted in chance? Unquote. And Christian in Connecticut wanted to know, is right-left dominance mainly nature or nurture? And what does the difference between hand and foot dominance say about the way your brain processes information? Great questions, Michael and Christian. Okay, let's work our way down. Is right-left dominance mainly nature or nurture? That is, are we taught to be right or left-handed, or is it a genetic trait? This one's easy. It's genetic. Family and twin studies support the idea that handedness is encoded in your genes. And even fossil records show that humans have been mostly right-handed for at least half a million years. For most people, handedness matches footedness, although that's more common for righties than lefties. The same isn't true of eye dominance. Your dominant eye has about a 50-50 chance of being on the same side as your dominant writing hand. What's interesting, though, is if you compare a person's dominant eye to a person's dominant throwing hand, they're slightly more likely to match. Also, eye dominance has nothing to do with which eye has better vision. It's just which eye your body tends to rely on most. What this all says about your brain comes down to a concept known as lateralization. Basically, which hemisphere of your brain is dominant and how dominant it is. Most people have a dominant brain hemisphere probably because it would be counterproductive for both sides to compete for processing power. This bears out in the statistics. Children who are strongly right or left-handed tend to have strong lateralization and therefore have well-developed language skills. Ambidextrous children, you know, kids who use their right and left hands about equally, don't seem to have strong lateralization, and that's been linked to atypical development of motor and language abilities. Now, what this doesn't say is whether you're right or left-brained and therefore creative or analytical. That is a big old myth. Thanks for the questions. 
If you have a question, go ahead and tweet at us or email it to podcast at curiosity.com. Read about today's stories and more on curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for more of the best stories of the year on the award-winning Curiosity Daily. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.